Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm joined in studio by Dr. Peter Kapsner today. We have a uh, great show. Oh, wait, excuse me. I have to interrupt regular programming. I have an announcement to make. This is not a drill. We're going to have fun this hour. Looking forward to that. Well, and and, uh, I have been uh, guilty in the past few weeks, for sure, of claiming that every guest that we have at this time has been my favorite guest. And so so I think I'm going to resist that that urge, that impulse today here, Bill, because this guest that we have, uh, let's just say that neither one of us are are super fond of him with the perfect hair and the perfect jaw and the theological acumen and all of that. Yeah, no, we, I mean, we we are diminished greatly in his presence. Because the topic today is uh, is laughter, and we're going to talk about the redemptive role of humor in a very fallen world. Love that. And our guest is Dr. Eric uh, Tanis. And... I might say, I might go out on a limb here, Peter, and say, Eric, it might be one of the smartest people I know. And I feel like I can say that because I know a lot of dumb people. <laughs> Pre- present company included. No, I'm yeah, not saying that about you. No, I do not. You're very smart. I, no, I agree with you. I think that's a great assessment uh, of Eric. He's, he's, and he does bring that, that little glint in his eye when he talks about things of the kingdom. And we've really appreciated that in the times we've had him on. Absolutely. As far as we know, he's on the studio line right now. Eric, welcome. Thanks, guys. So good to be with you again. And I love that you started a segment on humor with humor. <laughs> well, why not, Eric? Why not? Indeed. Right? That's right. That's right. So, it, it'd be terrible to talk about humor and not be the least bit funny. I know. So we look at the Bible and we don't see Jesus laughing, what, once? We see him yeah. laugh once, maybe? Well, God laughs in, in Psalm 2 at the nation's in a scoffing way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I do and get concerned sometimes when people sort of glibly throw things out like, oh, I know God has a sense of humor, and, but I think he does, but I, I want to know if that's actually the case. And if so, what does that mean? And, and, and what does it mean for us to share that? And yeah, so I wanted to think deeply about humor. And so I've done some work on that and, and I'm just fascinated by it. We don't have scenes of of Jesus laughing or God laughing, except examples like I gave. But uh, And the Bible's mostly serious. I mean, it's about redeeming lost sinners. And so I I don't want to make the Bible in the least bit frivolous, but humor is a part of our lives through and through. A, A baby sort of displays its humanity in a powerful way for the first time when it laughs for the first time before that it's just kind of this burrito and and um, <laughs> and then it laughs and all of a sudden its humanity is on display in an astounding way and there's something profoundly human about laughter and and humor and something important to everyday life and so i i just really wanted to understand it from a christian perspective and and i think the bible does have a lot to teach us about humor yeah, I'm pretty convinced it. You know, humor is like ice cream. Everybody seems to like it. Uh, maybe chocolate, vanilla, strawberry. Then you get into some other flavors that uh, are difficult for people to either understand or especially humor can get off the rails pretty quickly and you can be in trouble very, very fast. 
Yeah, which is actually another major reason I wanted to study it from a Christian perspective and understand it biblically and theologically. Because, so to get a little personal, I, I had a rough upbringing and um, in fifth grade realized that a couple of avenues to social acceptance were going to be my athletic ability and my humor. I realized in about fifth grade, and it was almost the same day, <laughs> that I could make – I'm serious. I remember this day. I, I, I was amazing in a kickball game, and then I remember tri- acting like I tripped going to sharpen my pencil, and, and everybody cracked up. And it, it was one of the first times I remember feeling social acceptance as an athlete and as somebody – who could make people laugh. And I realized those were two ways God had, had, had gifted me. And it's then typical that those things become overly important and you derive too much of your significance from them. And you see that as your role in unhealthy ways. And so there have been times I've really had to recalibrate my humor and, and my, the importance of my athletic ability, which has completely gone away at, at this age. But, <laughs> um, but it, it, and so it, it, some people would say so is my sense of humor, but <laughs> but I um, I really wanted to understand it because I realized that those things can quickly become idols. I think they're gifts from God, things like athletic ability and and in humor, but they become idols, and humor can become very unedifying and demeaning and dark. Immanuel Kant, the philosopher, said that all humor is based in a sense of superiority you have over others, and. Very often, sadly, that's the case. But I think for Christians, it should be just the opposite. And I, I realized one of the motivating factors in diving into this was realizing that I, I think maybe I had sinned more in my life in the name of humor than any other way. It, it, I, I felt like I had sort of a past. Because what, what do you say? I was only joking. Or right. I was just kidding. And, and that's sort of this this uh, pass on something that was hurtful or or insensitive or mean-spirited or based in a sense of superiority. So I, I realized this was a gift, but I wanted to understand it in a way where it would be edifying and not tear people down. That form of humor that you describe, Eric, that does tear other people down, is it often based in an insecurity that somebody might have to sort of seek to elevate themselves through that kind of humor? I mean, that, that seems to be the case, I remember, from junior high and high school, but it, but it can persist for a while. Yeah, I'll say, I'll say sometimes, you know, I just, I have a junior high son right now and one that just ended being a junior high son. How <laughs> can I relate to those boys? I, I feel like some ways I've never stopped being a junior high boy trying to find approval in all kinds of people. And, and Peter, I think you're exactly right. I, I, I think it, it's interesting, isn't it? Insecurity and arrogance go hand in hand. You think it's got to be one or the other. But I remember Mike, Mike Tyson. You guys remember Mike Tyson? I have, no, this for sure. fasc- <laughs> I have this bizarre fascination with Mike Tyson because he says some of the most horrific and does some of the most horrific things. But he, he comes out with brilliant things now and then, too, and, and, and really kind and sensitive things. He's this complex person. He bit off of Vander Holyfield's ear, and he had to go to extensive counseling to get his <laughs> boxing license back, which is an interesting concept, to go to extensive counseling to see if you can get your license back to beat people up for a living. But, but he went for this six-month rehab in a ranch in Arizona, and I saw him interviewed after he got out. And they said, the reporter said, Mike, what would you learn about yourself? And he said, I learned two very important things about myself. And what he, he said, 
I learned, one, I have absolutely no security in who I am. Mm. And two, I may be the biggest egomaniac on the planet. And see, that's brilliant. And it's true. Those two go hand in hand. And as we put ourselves at the center of the universe, we have a growing insecurity that we really don't belong there. And and that's sort of this combination of insecurity and arrogance that that is at the heart of what sin is. And so, yeah, humor that starts to be motivated by being affirmed and being uh, gaining security and significance can can make it go south really quickly. So I think you're exactly on the money with that. I love that Mike Tyson burned through $400 million. <laughs> I, think, I think I can summarize that in one word, entourage. <laughs> there you go. That's not easy to do. You, you, That's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. But when yeah. you move in it an entourage, yeah. you go through a lot of money. Yeah, one of my favorite Mike Tyson quotes is, he was about to fight, I think it was Tre- Trevor Burbick, and Trevor Burbick said, I've got a plan to beat Mike. Nobody's known how to beat him, but I figured it out. i got a plan. And somebody said, Mike, wh- what do you think of that? And he said, everybody's got a plan till they get punched in the mouth. <laughs> and I thought, man, that is, that's true in life in general, isn't it? it <laughs> everybody's got a plan till they get punched in the mouth. See, he's a smart dude in some way. Yeah. Yeah. My friend Marvis Frazier, who's Joe Frazier's son, fought Tyson. Wow. Yeah, and he yeah. said, you know, because uh, you know when you're when you're in the ring and you're at Caesar's Palace and you know you get fifteen thousand people cheering and and you're you're weaving and bobbing and he said you hear the roar of the crowd. He said, but when you fight Tyson, it's very quiet. <laughs> it's very 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 quiet. Because <laughs> oh, he was laying on the mat in about nineteen. <laughs> that, was <laughs> right. that was the drill, wasn't it? Until <laughs> Buster Douglas came along, that, that was the drill. That indeed, was the drill. Yeah, think they're loud when you're unconscious. Yeah. (laughs) Eric, let me take a short break and we'll come back. Let's talk a little bit about um, what we can appreciate and understand about humor. I know there's lots of things you put forward in this article, which is amazing. It's a great little article. And we'll talk about that some more. Dr. Eric Tonis is our guest. Dr. Peter Kapscher and I are hosting. We're glad to be doing it. We'll be right back. turn up the volume really loud in your car, I think you can legally get in the carpool lane today, but only if you're listening to this show. <laughs> Dr. Eric Tonis is our guest. We're talking about humor and the value of it in a very fallen world. Uh, Eric, in your article, you talked about, you know, just really what humor demands, um, and you gave five good reasons how we can appreciate and understand humor. I think this is, good, this is worth talking about. This is good stuff. Try to, try to be interesting. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean... Humor, I think, can and should play a very important role in our lives as long as it doesn't become overly important in in the sense that you lose perspective. Mm -hmm. Because we live in a fallen world, and there is plenty to grieve over, to weep over, and and we're called to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn and, and look forward to the day when the tears will be wiped away. And so... So we've, we've got to recognize the perspective-giving helpfulness of humor because we live in a fallen world, but one day 
all things will be made new. And so perspective for a Christian means we groan, but we groan with gratitude. It means that we uh, recognize the difficulty of life in a twisted and, and cursed and fallen world, but we do it every day with an eager expectation and confidence that God's going to make all things right. And so we're the ones who know how the story ends. And so the first thing is the importance of the perspective that the Christian worldview gives us. We are people of hope. We are people who know one day all the effects of sin and the fall will be done away with when Jesus returns. And so we're the ones who can start laughing ahead of time. We're the ones who can give the world a trailer of coming attractions of the joy of the kingdom that has come to earth once and for all. Because we're partakers of it now. We recognize that the king has come, and we are part of his kingdom advance, and we are able to enjoy the spoils of his victory that he accomplished on the cross. And so we're the ones who have the perspective that gives us the ability to laugh, even in the midst of the grief in this world. That's, that's really, I think, the, the most important one is the perspective that the Christian worldview gives us that enables us to, to grieve, but with joy. And Eric, your second point, you talk about how humor is such a vital part of most meaningful, healthy relationships. And anybody who talks about their favorite relationships usually first talks about how much fun they have, how much they laugh together, and how important that laughter is in that relationship. Yeah, this, this was one of the really fascinating things I, I discovered as I did this study. And, and there's a danger in studying something like humor. One, one author put it, it's like when you dissect a frog, you destroy the thing in the process. Right. And you don't want to do that with humor where you, you so analyze it that you kill the thing. As soon as you have to explain a joke, it's not funny anymore. So, <laughs> so humor can be that way, and, and I wouldn't want that to happen. But I noticed in my life that people I love and enjoy and like make me laugh. Even if they're not – even if in general you wouldn't say, ah, it's a really funny guy – People you really enjoy make you laugh, and you typically make them laugh. One of the, one of the authors I, I read, he said that among all my friends, I can find no commonality except this. They all make me laugh. And the opposite is true, too. Someone can be really objectively funny, but if you hate them, you don't find them funny at all. Yeah, so true. And, and so because there's something about – a, a relationship of enjoyment, of acceptance of one another, of of the grace that goes with that, that brings about a laughter, a humor that that is a lubricant in the relationship. And you want to kill a relationship, take yourself too seriously, take <clears throat> your affirmation in this relationship too seriously. And in, in intimate relationships like marriage, take this to another level. If you don't have a sense of humor about misunderstanding or or une uh, unexpected eventualities in marriage or your sex life or how you perceive parenting to look or all the if you don't have any sense of humor in all of that the ability to laugh at yourself and the situation you're in it'll be dreadful it, it'll be a laborious nightmare and so so relationships that have laughter in them are are, are the, among the most healthy i believe
Yeah, Eric, it occurs to me that I've never walked away from an evening saying, gosh, I just laughed way too much tonight. It was, it was an awful <laughs> night, right? I, but but if, you're, if you're lacking that in friendships or relationships, are there things that you can do or begin to recognize to, to implement it? Because it, it's hard to sort of force yourself to be funny. Yeah, and, you know, it, it's interesting the way you define humor. I don't know if you guys have heard there are only seven kinds of humor, mm-hmm. only five flake kinds of tastes and only seven kinds of humor. And But... Uh, some people are good at, at some kinds of humor and not at others, and the physical humor and sarcastic humor and dark humor and, and um, the, these per, these character-based humor uh, efforts. And so there there are different kinds of humor. People some people are good and in tune with certain ones where they don't like some people don't find sarcasm funny at all. You guys actually started this segment in in the beginning of this this uh, program with some sarcastic humor, which I so enjoy. And I'm from the Northeast, <laughs> which is known for its sarcastic humor. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, if you don't sort of make cutting sarcastic humor toward your friends, it means you don't like them. I mean, if you don't make fun of your friends, uh, of someone, it just means you don't like them. And certain cultures are far more in tune with certain kinds of humor. Like Sc- Scottish humor is dark. Uh, American humor loves to make fun of the powerful and the the haughty, uh, so so different different cultures appreciate and like different kinds of humor, and in some cultures their humor is completely lost on someone from another culture because you, you're just not in tune with it. It's a pretty sophisticated thing. There, there's nothing more universally experienced than humor, but nothing more subjectively understood and appreciated than humor, and and so so. Just because someone doesn't have sort of this objective sense of humor doesn't mean you can't find them funny because part of enjoying someone is, 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 includes laughter and humor in it. Eric, let's chat about the difference between men and women because I think Peter and my friendship kind of went to a different level when I insulted him one day. And he said, <laughs> he said oh, my, you are now talking my love language. Totally love language. And, I know it's not one of the five, but it was there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was a risk because... He could have been offended because it was a big shot I took. <laughs> it was a big shot, yeah. But he said his instant response was a laughter and then, oh, now you're speaking my love language. But, you know, women, you never hear women talk that way to each other. That That's unthinkable. Yeah, it, well, it's interesting. It, part of that can be regional. I mean, I know some women who, will, <laughs> who can tear you up. So Australians, for instance. Okay. Australian <laughs> culture is incredibly cutting in its humor. And it, I remember I met one of the world's leading... New Testament scholars, and Bruce Winters is his name, and he's, he's an amazing expert on Corinth, and I had so much respect for him, and I went, I, I went and studied at Cambridge for a while and, and on their campus, and I met Bruce for the, uh, the second time, and I had just shaved my head because a woman in our church was getting chemo, and a friend of mine wanted to relate, uh, encourage her in that, so I, sh- I had just shaved my head, and I met him for the second time, and we talked for about 10 minutes, and I said, you know, actually, Dr. Winter, I've met you before, and he said, you have, and I said, yeah, you were a Talbot one time, and, and, I, and he looked at me, and he said, oh, yes, but you didn't have that ridiculous haircut, <laughs> and, and, and I cracked up, and I thought, you're my, you're my kind of people, right? I just love this. But some people wouldn't find that funny at all, and especially because the reason I had done it was to relate to my friend. And you could get really sensitive about that. And, 
Yeah, I've never seen two women see each other who haven't seen each other a while and say, man, you put on weight. (laughs) They tend tend to be much kinder in that sort of way, although I have met women who can can go toe-to-toe with with anybody on this kind of humor. But but you're right, generally speaking – there, there's a, a way men and women relate, but that's really a cultural thing that can can vary even from from men from different different cultures as well. It, it, it's just not across the board. It's uh, coming out right out of the shoot in a relationship is pretty risky to try humor at that point, right? Does it help to have a little bit of trust built before you kind of start down that road? Not for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's amazing how how you can sort of. Um, Somebody told me once that people who smoke pot can sm- spot another pot smoker across the room without even knowing. <laughs> it, it, you, can, you can pick stuff up uh, in that sort of way, too. Sometimes I can tell within 90 seconds if somebody can roll with a certain kind of humor. Sometimes I've completely blown it. And, and that's what I mean about trying to be careful with this sort of thing and, and realize, wow, th- this person doesn't roll in that kind of way with a certain kind of humor. So I think we need to be really really not lead with it too easily, but at the same time not be so constrained by the potential of of, of um, making a mistake that we're not free to, to sort of be who God made us to be. Yeah, I sometimes feel sorry for people that say, well, I just don't feel like I have a good sense of humor. And I, I think what they're thinking is I don't know how to say funny things or I can't tell a joke well. or And really two-thirds of humor is being able to receive it, understand it, and enjoy it. Oh yeah, that that's that's so good. And I do think a big part of humor is imagination. And so if somebody wanted to develop a better sense of humor, I do think it's something that can be developed. Some people sort of are more naturally wired or gifted in that way, but I do think a big aspect of it is creativity and imagination. And so if I wanted to develop a better sense of humor, I I think the first thing I would do is is try to develop a better sense of creativity because if you can picture something in your mind, that typically is why you find it funny. And and if you don't have a, a good imagination or creativity, it's hard to find things funny because you're not imagining that person who's being caricatured or or the scenario going down as you're telling the story. You've got to be able to enter into it. And and so I think one of the one of the humorlessness one of the reasons there can be a humorlessness increasingly in our culture is because we have stunted imaginations and and because we don't read imaginatively very much anymore and and so so I I think developing a reading reading the Chronicles of Narnia reading stories where you you learn to pick up the nuances I remember reading the Canterbury Tales in in high school, my junior year, and and finding finding it fascinating that these characters that Chaucer was portraying were people I saw at the mall that week, and he he sort of caricatured their characteristics in a way where where these same kinds of people are still running around the mall today as they were way back. <laughs> yeah, Eric, let me take a little break. We'll be right back with Dr. Eric Tonis. We're talking about humor today. If you have anything you'd like to contribute, let us know, 877-933-2484. We have a lot of funny listeners. We really do. Yeah, we'll be right back.
the afternoon show the show which is half the price of those name brand afternoon shows so glad to have <laughs> dr eric tonis as our guest today dr peter capster and i are chatting with him about humor one of my favorite topics and eric's as well and peter's too so eric let's talk a little bit about uh, one of my policies is i never joke about sin that's never funny god doesn't find it funny i don't find it funny yeah i remember i was reading an article by aw tozer years back and he had a list of questions to find out how you were doing in your pursuit of holiness and in your relationship with God, and it was very insightful. And he he said things like, "What do you spend your money on? Uh, who are your friends? Who are your heroes? What are you living for?" These, these sorts of diagnostic questions. But I'll, I'll never forget one of them on the list was, "What do you laugh at?" Mm-hmm. And and it's important that we only find humorous what God finds humorous, and I just think that's a great way to put it, Bill. I don't laugh at anything that's sinful, which means God certainly isn't laughing at it. And so so I, I think having a sober sense of what God grieves over, and if something required Jesus go to the cross, I better not find humor in it. And now I, I may understand why something is funny related to that, but but I want to have such a healthy fear of the Lord and a hatred of sin that I hate what God hates and I love what God loves. And, and so even though I understand something and why someone finds it funny, I want to have a developed sense of a hatred of sin where, where I I don't find, I don't laugh at it. And, And it's interesting, isn't it? Sometimes you can find yourself laughing at something that is unedifying. Totally. Or sinful. And you have to catch yourself and, you need to be willing to have a sort of a social awkwardness in having a refusal laugh at, at, at something that God finds uh, finds abhorrent. And so, so developing that sense of social maturity, where even though someone expects you to laugh along with them, you're willing to be the the party pooper because you're mm-hmm. not going to go along with it. You, you, and, and that can be hard because you get on a roll. You know, and and so I, I through the years I've tried to develop a, a sense of no, that's not funny, and and I want to hate sin so much where it doesn't take a whole lot of calculating to to realize that. Yeah, I always want people to laugh and then feel good about what they're laughing at. If I can accomplish that, I think that's uh, I've, it's working. Yeah, I mean, I, I so agree with what Peter said before. Of I've never left the time with friends saying I laughed way too much. <laughs> I have left saying. I've laughed. I laughed at some things I shouldn't have, and I made people laugh at things they shouldn't have. And so, so I just need to repent when, when again, humor, humor can be enlivening and intoxicating. And sometimes I have found myself, to my shame, uh, just heading down the road of humor in a way that I just willingly uh, tore someone down or willingly. Uh, trivialized something God hates, and and I, I need to repent of that and and try to learn to see that coming and take a detour. 
Eric, are there ways to handle it in a situation that you describe maybe with uh, believers and even versus non-believers where you're in that social awkward space? Uh, do, you, do you tend to say something to your believing friends? And then how do you maybe handle it if you're with non-believers? Because it certainly can be perceived to be that stick in the mud right there and make them feel very uncomfortable. So how do you, how do you handle that situation? Yeah, that really takes discernment, doesn't it? Just uh, a Holy Spirit-enabled discernment. Because, again, like you said, it depends who we're with. There, sometimes we've got much bigger fish to fry than than going after a particular issue that, that we found um, sinful or degrading in some way. We need to pick our battles. We need to know who we're with, where we are in that relationship with them. And I, I don't think this is only specific to humor. It's It's when people are just celebrating anything or enjoying something or saying, isn't this great? And increasingly, it's amazing how often I'm running into things that aren't only in the area of humor, but like when someone says to me, man, is that karma or what? Now, is this an opportunity to say, well, I actually think that's a Hindu way of thinking that's from the pit of hell. Or or do I just say, ah, and sort of not, not choose to to address that or somebody who's really into horoscopes do i do i have to say how foolish i think that is and, and or do i there are some situations where i would say hey tell me tell me why you think that's okay to joke about or what is it about horoscopes that make you think they really give you insights into life sometimes i'll try to lead with a question uh, and yeah it can it can be a, a bit of a damper on on the social environment but but I want to be someone who leads to times that are meaningful and not just fun or not just you know enjoyable but but meaningful at the end of the day is what I want it to be edifying and meaningful and god honoring yeah when I think of some of the the great legends of physical comedy, you think of Buster Keaton or Chaplin, and you think of their masterful work and genuinely funny stuff um do you eric do you like uh physical comedy or would you rather hear some funny words strung together well i i just actually a few weeks ago watched an interview of rowan atkins who was mr bean oh, yeah. and <laughs> i mean it, it's hard to find anyone in contemporary comedy that's funnier <laughs> in a physical way than than rowan atkins he's just a, a complete genius and yeah when it's done well um, I, I think, I think it, it can be powerful. And in this interview, he was saying one of the amazing things about Mr. Bean is, like I said, from, from culture to culture, uh, language and the way you say something and, and a turn of phrase is so in, important in something being funny. But Mr. Bean doesn't require a common language verbally to find it funny. And, and there's something about the basic aspect of physical humor that that makes it widely appealing regardless of the culture which is one of the things about mr bean it's a it's a uh, almost a worldwide phenomena that that he's funny to people but you know you speak of chaplin the fascinating thing about chaplin that more than anything in my opinion is they, they people will say that chaplin had a devastating effect because he made fun of hitler mm. in world war ii and his his mocking of Hitler by by doing a parody of him and a caricature of him did wonderful things for the morale. Mel Brooks, a lot of Jewish comedians, they they attacked Hitler with humor, and he shrinks when you do that. The fear you feel towards someone when you when you can make fun of them 
is power is diminished. And so, so it's fascinating the way humor can be used in, in, in really effective ways to put things in perspective that helps people feel more courageous toward a foreboding enemy. Yeah. Because humor always uh, proves our humanity. You remember when Reagan, when Reagan was shot and he was being rushed into the ER the doctor said, are you allergic to anything? And he said, well, bullets. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and um, in, his, in his debate that launched his career, his joke about his age. Oh, yeah. yeah. Not, they asked him about age, and, and he said, oh, I'm not going to bring up the youthfulness of my opponent. <laughs> Youthful and inexperience of my his opponent. Humor, right. I mean, Did you see how you hard Mondo laughed? Yeah. Exactly. He and was that, gone. that was the yeah. pivotal moment. Some people say in his whole career, and it was just this moment of humor, he could have gone after it and talked about respecting older people and all this. <laughs> but he did this humor, and it was amazing. Some, I think you could argue that, that Reagan's ability to, to have humor in key situations was as important as anything in, in his effective leadership. It, it's so true. We have a couple of listeners already, Eric, wondering about uh, people who like to make puns. I have very few people of <laughs> like that on my friends list. <laughs> you know, one of my best friends, Walt Hera, he loves puns. And the, the, the funny thing about puns is it's, it's the worse they are, the better they that's are. True. Yes, that's true. That's very true. What that's you very want true. from a pun is a massive groan. Right. You, you almost don't want to laugh. You, you want to groan, <laughs> and you've won with your pun, right? And so, so that's the interesting thing about puns. They're in some ways easy, but they have an interesting groaning effect that almost makes the, the punner feel like he's been victorious. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, if, if you're somebody that finds yourself having maybe a hard time laughing at some of these comedic geniuses that you reference, it doesn't come very easy to you. Uh, is it is it possible that it's not about just the fact that that's not your sense of humor, that maybe there's something else going inside that you can pay attention to that you just don't laugh very easily? Yeah, I mean, it, uh, there are comedians that I, I don't find very funny that some people find very funny. And I think some of it is may, they could just remind me of someone that – I don't like it. Like I said, there's a lot of relational things going on there. What I do think is important to realize about humor is some people have said that, that comedians are the, the smartest people in any culture because they need to be able to look what everyone else is looking at but see something deeper below the surface because a lot of comedy is just pointing out foibles and funny things that we do that we've never even thought about. And we find that humorous when someone does that. And so comedians should be our conscience in some ways, our revealers. That's why comedians are pushing back as much as anybody, if not more than anybody these days against cancel culture, because their job is to point out things that we don't realize about ourselves. And that's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And so so I, I so a Dave Chappelle and different comedians who who speak into the culture the way a Mark Twain did in ways that really offend some people because they're taking themselves so seriously they can't see how foolish they are at times and so uh, the job of a comedian in, in many ways is to hold up a mirror and say do you see what a bunch of buffoons we all are and if we can't laugh at ourselves in those moments we're going to be very unhappy people. When, when I think of some of my favorite jokes from some of my friends, I, I think that was just laying there and you saw it. 
and no one else did. <laughs> and that's what makes me so mad. I mean, my one friend. Of, yeah, one of my best friends, Kenny Clark, he, he makes fun of me all the time. He's a very funny person. And in our relationship for, for the past almost 20, 23 years, I'm notorious for hearing him say something funny that most people didn't hear, and I'll just say it at a higher volume and get all the laughs. laughs. And he just shakes his head at me. I stole another one from him because yeah. sometimes he just doesn't say it loud enough <laughs> or perfect timing, and I'll just steal his joke and get all the laughs from it. Yeah. My friend uh, Paula Ponstone has one of my favorite jokes. She said, uh, my mom talks nonstop. My mom does never stop talking, but she is doing something about it. She went to one of those support groups. It's called On and On and On. yeah and see paula poundstone is a great example of someone who can be very Mm self-deprecating and and not take herself too seriously in the midst of helping the rest of us do that too yeah she's got a joke about visiting the uh going to to cleveland and she said i I went to the cleveland zoo and she said it was weird because there were there were no uh cages all the animals are there on the honor system they know if they go past a certain point, they're in Cleveland. <laughs> That's good. All right. Uh, let me take one more break. We'll be right back with uh, Dr. Eric Thomas. We're talking about the value of humor in a, in, in a very um, broken world. We'll be right back. We're talking about humor today, which I'm loving. I think it's something we need to discuss more often, Peter, because it's uh, we live in such a heavy world. Uh, let me give a couple of comments from listeners, Eric. Uh, Jim said it's sad on college campuses nowadays. Kids aren't allowed to laugh at much. That's interesting. Um, and also, uh, uh, my dad always has groaner but clean jokes, ready to change the atmosphere when dirty jokes start. I think that's kind of a, a strong idea to be able to have Love a, it. A yeah. little joke to insert when things get a little bit messy. I think that's a, what a, a great good. idea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what about dad jokes? <laughs> <laughs> I love a good dad joke. Yeah. Uh, the whole dad genre is just funny to me. And I love, and my wife is also a master at embarrassing our children. We, we feel like that's one of our primary job descriptions is embarrassing our children by doing the the stereotypical mom and dad sorts of things and and so yeah I love a good dad joke. Eric, when you're talking about uh, what's happening on college campuses too, there is such a fear, isn't there, in terms of young people not being able to not saying the wrong thing at the wrong time and and uh, maybe even being canceled because of it. So there's there's some things we can do, and I know you're with college students all the time too to just help develop that sense of humor with the next generation. Oh, what a great question. It, it is fascinating, isn't it? So I, I've watched this shift in our culture where when, when, I was, when I was a kid, I think Christians were perceived as pretty humorless, dour people. And, and we at times could really 
you know, take the credit for those kinds of stereotypes. Christians can be dour people uh, because, like I said, we recognize the sin in the world and we want to avoid it. And and so uh, you, you can go to that extreme. But it's been, there's been this shift in the culture now where some of the most humorless people are very liberal people who who fancy themselves as free-thinking, free-minded people, but there is such a humorless taking yourself and your causes so seriously that you you see yourself as so superior to everyone else in these beliefs that you have that anyone who doesn't go along with you and celebrate these beliefs is a horrible person who should should be canceled should be you know not allowed to speak and and, and it's just been amazing to to see Christians in some ways champion liberal views of of a dialogue and debate and discussion and I, the free exchange of ideas and, and these sorts of things, but there's become this this oppressive approach to life where there's a humorlessness. I mean, I've watched nighttime comedians on their shows lose all their humor. They hate, for instance, they hated President Trump so much, and, and if your humor is driven by hate, it's not funny if, mm. if that's all that's going on there, and and so. So they're just not funny anymore. And, and, and so Jerry Seinfeld said he won't um, do comedy at college campuses anymore because there's, there's this, this just waiting for you to say the wrong thing in the wrong way that, that comedians can pick up immediately. And that's, that's no environment for, for comedy or for humor. And so, so I think taking God really seriously and the things that God cares about really seriously – but not taking ourselves too seriously. See, that's where we become humorless. When, when we take ourselves so seriously and how important we are, we should be viewed as children at play who serve a very awesome God. And so I think that's what it can boil down to is try to encourage a confidence in God and a sense of who we are made in his image. And if you're a Christian, adopted as one of his children, that frees you up to not take yourself so seriously because you take God so seriously. Mm-hmm. Eric, I, another listener said, I've, I've learned in my work in nursing homes and with hospice patients and families that humor brings joy in a very beautiful way in times that are difficult, sad, or dark. And I think, boy, that is so spot on. I remember Jay Leno talking about when his father-in-law was dying and his father-in-law loved Jay's humor. Mm. And, yeah. and he, yeah. on his dying bed... I think he was going to be dead in a couple of hours. And Jay got real close to him, grabbed his shirt and said, where'd you leave the money? (laughs) (laughs) And it was the last smile laugh he he had in his life. Mm. And he didn't want his son-in-law to ever stop doing what he always did. And I think sometimes we get in situations, we we get nervous to be ourselves because things are too serious right now. I I obviously want to be respectful, but that was something that he, he just loved. That's brilliant. Yeah, in the timing, in the discernment to know when that's good and appropriate and helpful. Like I said, I I got in a point in my life where I felt like it was my job to make people laugh, even if it wasn't the best thing in the situation. And that, we don't want to go there. But at the same time, I have laughed so hard in hospital rooms and at at, at funerals. Uh, and and I do think this is at the heart of a Christian view of humor, realizing that. So it, most most people who think about humor sort of. Uh, theoretically say, well, at the heart of humor is incongruity. You recognize whether it's the big feet of the clown 
or the, the turn of a phrase or a character that you didn't expect to do something. It's incongruity. Well, I didn't see that coming or I didn't expect that. And, and so things are out of sorts in life. And, and a Christian says, yeah, we're all a bunch of clowns bumbling around in our, in our frailty, in our sin, and God's redeeming it all in the midst of all of it. And so, so we're in this together, and humor should be a big sigh of relief that we're all in this mess, mess together, and there is an answer in Christ. There is a solution in Christ. And, and so, so there is a place for humor at a funeral and, and in a hospital room. And sometimes I've laughed more deeply there than anywhere else because we're, we're digging into the hard things of life, and there's hope. And so we can all collectively laugh together, realizing that there is an answer. Yeah, Victor Borges said the shortest distance between two people is a laugh. And I I think of this uh, pharmacy of chemicals that God installed in our brain. It was factory installed (laughs) that when you laugh, you access these chemicals, which make you physically feel better. Yeah. Yeah. There, there is a physical, spiritual, emotional, psychological complexity going on in all of that. There, there is a physiological boost you get from it. With uh, and I know you've spoken in public a lot, Eric. But I think there's even a sense in which that boost, if you're if you're dealing with some really difficult topics from the pulpit or maybe in a relationship, that that pause of laughter does kind of a full reset in the brain and allows you to even go that much deeper. From what I understand, yeah, and, and even socially, uh, people can can shut off socially when there's a dynamic in the room that gets them thinking about themselves or that person over there. It, but when you all collectively laugh together, it's similar to singing in that we're doing this in, in a uniform collective way that can bring a trust and a unity that enhances our learning in the process. Uh, Eric, how important is it for a pastor or a minister to uh, lead his people in a, in a godly laughter? Yeah, one of my best friends, uh, he's, he's a very influential pastor. He said he's never intentionally tried to be funny in a sermon. Good for him. And, yeah. Good for him. And uh, and um, he said his dad started every sermon with a joke and it, it kind of turned him off. And and, and so I, I don't think we should camp there. I don't think it should be our thing. I think a funny, entertaining preacher is is way overdone in our day. And, and a preacher mostly has a very serious job. But when it comes out of a humility, a self-deprecating ability, a we're all in this together, we can connect on some things. I think it can be really helpful, even though I don't think it should be our intention going in. Yeah, it's, it is uh, such a big piece of our lives. I, I know that when people talk about uh, feeling down, feeling depressed, uh, you, if you ask them, when was the last time you had a good belly laugh, they look at you like you're nuts. Yeah, and and I, I think the ability, it, actually, I, I have spent a lot of time thinking about cultural difference. One of the funniest thing I've done is sit around with my friends and read from, it was the original title was the Oriental Book of Humor. It was, it was Asian humor. And it's hilarious because it's completely lost on the English speaker and on the, the, the Western mind. So it's actually hilarious to read these humorous things that actually aren't funny at all those because it's not because they're not funny it's just completely lost on us and so developing a sense of what's funny from person to person and culture to culture can be really important to do but but realizing that 
that there's there's a required biblical sensitivity and a spirit-led ability to use our humor in ways that lifts people up and encourages them and gives them perspective. That's the key. Mm-hmm. Eric, so so always so much fun having you on the show. This is a topic we love, and we are so glad you could do the show today. Oh, it's it's. I just love talking to you guys. I really appreciate it. I hope it was helpful. Yeah, you it know what, Eric? Helpful, that, but it was fun. Yeah, well, <laughs> and, and I'm just going to go back. When you said that, that the comedian is most often the smartest person in the room, you have no idea. Bill and Rosie are already like, like bringing up the clips for that for, for future shows for Bill. Yeah. So, yeah. He, he, so I appreciate you bringing that up, Eric. <laughs> All right. You got it. Yeah. Have a great uh, time at camp. I know you're, uh, you're at a camp. And have a great uh, week. And thanks again. We'll talk to you in, uh, hopefully again soon. All right, friends. Thank right. you. Yep. Take See you care. later. All right, Peter. That was a ton of fun, like we knew it would be. It was. It's one of those topics we just don't really talk about that much. As I, I can't remember the last time that I tried, we tried to break down biblically or theologically or relationally the role of humor, but what an important topic. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that, that show, um, The Chosen, which has gotten yes. to be very popular, I think we're seeing a more humorous side of the apostles and Jesus and yeah, it's it's lovely. I wanted to ask Eric about that because the one point I think it was episode two where they said that no good thing comes out of Nazareth at yeah. the Shabbat table with Jesus, right? And there yeah. was this big hush that fell over the whole table, and then Jesus just kind of winked at the person. And yeah. I thought, I'm not sure if that was how Jesus was, but boy, my kids sure responded to that. Yeah, it's it was beautiful. All right, that wraps up our show for the day. I just want to say thanks to Jay Warner Wallace and to Eric Tonis. It's been a really great, fun day. I hope you've had a good uh, day, and I hope your evening is good. When you lay your head on the pillow, know God uh, is working out his great plan in your life. Even if you don't see it right now, he's at work. He loves you, cares about you. So do I. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.